Um, the Bible this morning, and we've been in a sort of series uh, in 1 John, that little short letter um, that John wrote. And um, many weeks ago, when we started this series, what kind of sparked it off in my own heart and mind was how Jesus encountered Peter, and when he called Peter to follow him, Peter was casting his net, he was out fishing. And then when he met John, it was interesting that John was mending the nets. And it really struck me that actually part of John's ministry in his life was to be a net mender. And as we were emerging out of the whole sort of pandemic year and we're beginning to gather again together, I really sensed that it was a word for us as a church that we need to be mending our nets once again so that we can go out and catch more. And so John writes letters, he wrote the gospel as an evangelist, but he writes his letters as a pastor. He writes his letters to the believers so that they might know that they have eternal life. John was an old man when he wrote these letters. He was probably one of the last surviving people who had seen Jesus alive, in the flesh, saw him crucified, saw him risen from the dead, saw him ascended to the Father. The Bible as we know it hadn't yet been formalized, and John probably wouldn't have realized he was writing part of the scriptures at the time, but he was an eyewitness, and the New Testament is an eyewitness account of who Jesus is. Those who knew him walked with him. But the church was vulnerable at the time that John was writing. Vulnerable to persecution, and that's not stopped ever since the first century. But it was also vulnerable to false teaching. And so he writes, and Paul writes, and Peter writes, to keep the church focused on the truth. He writes in this letter of the importance of unity among many things, but today, we're going to focus on what he says about love and loving one another. And he, he almost uses it as a hallmark of what authentic faith looks like. So I'm going to read from um, 1 John 3, verse 11 to 18. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
We're coming up to another Alpha course. I've stopped counting now. Over 50, plus youth Alphas, plus prison Alphas. And at the end of the Alpha course, we often give a questionnaire out, and we, we ask kind of a very simple question at the end of the Alpha course, have things changed? What, Jesus, what difference has Jesus made? And here are some genuine answers. My life has completely changed. I now look at the world through different eyes. I feel love for everybody. Now that is remarkable, isn't it? Another one. I've been living in a, a, my life in a dark hole. I was carrying a great weight on my shoulders but the burden has gone. I am filled with great hope, joy, excitement, and love. And one last one. I feel that I have found love and conquered death in one day. The difference that Jesus makes is massive, isn't it? It's eternal. It's impossible to fully comprehend. A revolution has occurred in heart and mind and spirit. Talking of revolutions, Copernicus began to suspect that the earth revolved around the sun and not the other way around. And that he knew his new way of thinking would not be popular with some people. It, it proved not to be popular at all. Some found it scandalous. Some found it irreverent and ungodly. Some found it dangerous. So he kept it to himself and only published his theory a few weeks before he died. But others who followed him, for example, Galileo, when he voiced his own view that the earth revolved around the sun, discovered that Copernicus's fears were justified. He was told by a Roman inquisition in 1616 to remain silent on the matter. He was issued with an injunction to abandon completely the opinion that the earth stood still and the, the sun stood still and the earth moved. He was told not to teach it or defend it in any way. Way before Copernicus, way before Galileo, John and Peter were told not to speak in the name of Jesus again. They were opposed by people who thought it was dangerous, irreverent, scandalous, but they refused. The early Christians discovered the most revolutionary thing, that Jesus is the center of everything. And that when you come to know Jesus, you realize that your life revolves around him. And not the other way around, or not that you are the center of the universe. Jesus is the center. And he transforms everything. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 1, God the Father has raised Jesus from death and set him on a throne in highest heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name, no power, exempt from his rule, not just for the time being, but forever. Jesus is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. And Jesus also rules the church. 
The church, you see, says Paul, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. And the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he feels everything in his presence. Our orbit as Christians is different from the world in which we live. We revolve around the Son of God, Jesus. And genuine faith expresses itself in new thinking, new attitudes, and a new love. Love for God and love for one another. It's foundational, isn't it, to who we are. When Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second one he said is, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. In John 13, to his disciples, he said, A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And here in this part of John's letter, that he's addressing to the church, this pastoral letter, he, he actually just addresses two attitudes. I want to illustrate it by this cup. I have filled it to the brim. I know I'm in danger here. But if someone were to come and jog me, you know, sometimes you just get jogged by someone, don't you? I did come prepared because the, the school have probably polished this floor and... didn't bring enough. Please mind this floor, it's a bit slippy. <laughs> what I wanted to illustrate is this. What was in the cup comes out. If it was jogged, what was in the cup comes out. And when we encounter people, and when we go in this world as followers of Jesus, when we're jogged, what's inside should come out. And what's inside is the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation. How do we habitually react towards people? The unexpected knocks and irritations of life. How do we habitually act to our brothers and sisters in Christ? John says the mark of authentic faith is the love of God in us. Christ's love in us. Of all the things that he would write about to the church at such a crucial time in its history, I remember back to my four years of Bible college training, of all the things that I was taught about church growth and about theology and a church history. I do not remember many lectures on love, 
on God's love. John the netmender reminds them, and he reminds them again. If you read this letter in just one go, he, he keeps reminding them of this. And then if you read his next letter, he reminds them again. And you get to think, why does he keep reminding them? Why do you need reminding of things? Why do I need reminding of things? It's because I forget them. The hallmark of genuine faith, says John, is love, the love of God within us. In 1 John 4, we'll come to it in a few weeks' time. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us because God is love. And whoever lives and loves in God, God lives in them. See, it's not God's habit to love, although he does love. It's the very essence of his being. He is love. God is loving. Yes, he is loving. God loves you. Yes, he does love you. But he is love. It's his nature. And it's his nature to love as it's the sun's nature to shine. And all love comes from him. It's where it all begins. If you have ever encountered love, it has come from him. It's where it begins. It's the source. And we were created in his image. Yes, it's been marred by sin and rebellion and unbelief. But when we come back to Jesus, we are restored. And if we're in Christ by faith, which is a gift of God, we are a new creation with a new heart and a new nature. And we bear the family likeness. It's interesting that John, when he's talking about this, he picks out a representative figure from a different kind of family. Of all the people he could have talked about, he picks on Cain. You know who Cain is from Genesis chapter 4, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve, the elder brother of Abel. He picks Cain because Cain chose a different orbit. Instead of loving God and loving his brother, he hated God and hated his brother. And in his anger, he kills his brother. But his anger is really at God. Because of jealousy. Because Abel was righteous and Cain was not. Edwards alluded to the amazing Standing Strong event last night. Open doors put on. And we see this exact thing repeated again and again and again and again. Those who seek to kill Christians, those who seek to oppress Christians, their anger is at God. And they take it out on his followers. Why does the world hate us? Because it doesn't know him. Forces of evil are lined up to oppose God. 
And in their hatred, they kill those who are righteous, those who are in Christ. All evil comes from the enemy, the devil. It's who he is. But God is love and God is light. John's already reminded us that in him there is no darkness at all. Say this again. If you ever encounter darkness, God's not part of that. He is light. And in him there is no darkness whatsoever. In verse 13, John repeats Jesus' words. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Remember Jesus in John 15 verse 18 said, because it hates me first. The world, we've talked about that already, that John uses this word a lot, cosmos, but he uses it in different ways. Firstly, the world that God created, which he loves, for God so loved the world. But he uses it here in a different context when he talks about the world, which is in rebellion against him. Rebellion against God. Jesus goes to the very heart of this in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. When he talks about hate, he likens it to murder. Have you ever read that in Sermon on the Mount? It's as if when you hate somebody, you've, you've killed them in your heart. There's only one hatred that we should have, and that's hatred against sin. Hatred against evil. We should not carry hatred in our heart. If you've ever said something like this, you're dead to me. That is an offense to God. We are not a people who hate. Even if we're ever portrayed as people who hate, we are not a people who hate. We are a people who love with the love of God. This attitude, says John, this hatred is not compatible with being a follower of Jesus. It's incompatible with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if we have that ever in our hearts, and you know, life sometimes throws things at us and we respond in a way that we wish we hadn't and we need just repent of it and receive the forgiveness that God brings to us. In this passage, John answers the question of what is love? The question that our world doesn't know the answer to, does it? That world in rebellion against God doesn't know the answer to. What is love? It's twisted and turned and it's abused. We end up with a love island love that's love rather than the love of God. It struck me this week, because I've never noticed it before, that 1 John 3.16 and John 3.16 are really similar. I've been a Christian over 30 years, never noticed that. Of course, John didn't write with chapters and verses, so it's just happened like that, that when those were put in. 
1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for you and for me and for the world and whoever believes in him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I just think that's so cool how it's worked out like that. This is how we know what love is. It's so important, he repeats it in chapter four. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We are so loved that Jesus laid down his life for you. We are ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. And nothing we had to do to earn it. No performance we had to make. But it's just been lavished on us. As Edward talked about last week, this wonderful word, lavished. And if you and me, when we encounter this love of Jesus, when it wins our hearts and it brings from us faith and repentance, we enter into a new world, we enter into a new orbit. Because now we revolve around the Son of God. And He is everything to us. He is the center and circumference. He means everything to us. And we are filled with this new love. And we express it day by day. Because it's what's inside. It's what comes out of the cup when it's jogged. And if it's not, we want to pray today that it is more and more and more. When you're in that petrol queue. What comes out is what's inside. This love, says John, is the mark of faith that is real. It's the love of Christ. It's a love that doesn't count the cost. It's a love without thought of return. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that is patient and kind, that does not envy, that does not boast, that is not proud, that does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You know that's Paul from Corinthians. It's a love that looks like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. It starts with love. Joy is love rejoicing. Peace is love at rest. Patience is love waiting, enduring every trial and test. Kindness is love in action. Goodness is love initiating. Faithfulness is love keeping its word. Gentleness is love empathizing. Self-control is love resisting temptation. This is love, and his name is Jesus. And what we need to grasp is this, because if you're like me, you're sitting there thinking, this love is not the kind of love I have all the time. Is it unattainable? Is it beyond us? But I want you to know this, that this love, is always available to us in Christ Jesus. 
because he is love. And if he is in us and we are in him, then we are filled with love. And we can go on being filled and being filled and being filled and being filled with his love. He is the source because who he is. And the more we open ourselves up to receive it, the more it will overflow to others. You know that I'm an avid reader about revivals. The Welsh revival has been an inspiration to me for so long. Evan Roberts would say that he was praying one day, was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with a love that he had never known before. He'd been a believer for a long time. But on that day, he was filled with a love for the people of Wales that he had never known before. And he wanted to tell every single one of them about Jesus. That is a supernatural thing. And 100,000 people got saved within two years. I'm not saying that that will happen to each one of us, but what I'm saying is, if we spend time asking God to fill us with his love, do you know what? He will. And when we are, when we carry that around with us, And when someone jogs you, what's going to come out? It's going to be his love. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. So I'm going to ask Sally and the band to come back because I want us to spend a good deal of time just worshipping God to this morning and just opening ourselves up and saying, would you fill me again with your love? Because we need to be filled again with his love. And we don't need to be awkward about this. I'm not going to call people to the front and be prayed for. I think God just wants to meet you where you are this morning. He knows where you are, not just your seat, but he knows where you are. And we all need to be filled with his love. So let's spend some time just asking him to fill us with his love. You up for this? Mabel is, which is great. Can I invite you to stand? We'll pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God, which is truth. And we thank you that you are love. And we thank you that we are in you and you are in us. And so we come humbly this morning